great to see everybody today. We've got a good crowd today, don't we? Praise the Lord. Look around. Uh, didn't, didn't our uh, musicians do a great job this morning? Would you like to thank them? Great job. Awesome. You know, um, you know, I have just thoroughly enjoyed this, uh, this series that Mark uh, has been leading us through. And, you know, it's just been a great, um, a great thing to uh, listen to these messages, living to make a difference. Uh, last week especially was great. How to get back on track. I love that message. That was great. Thanks, Mark. I've been taking notes. And another thing I told Mark this, uh, this morning, uh, he, was, he, he asked for a little preview of, of this message. And I just said, gosh, you know, uh, listening to Mark preach has liberated me to uh, say everything I can think of this morning. You know, I just uh, and not even pay attention to the time at all. Hallelujah. It's just a wonderful. Thank you, brother. But uh, I tell you, uh, I, I don't know if you fully realize, uh, maybe you do, and I, 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 but I do want to say this to you, that uh, what we get here from Mark every Sunday morning is exceptional. It is, I've heard a lot of preaching. I've been... <clears throat> I've been, I've been in church like Mark all my life, and I'm just telling you, I've heard a lot of preaching and a lot of teaching. And what the diet of teaching we get is above and beyond what many are hearing. And I, I am so thankful I'm taking notes like you, trying to pay attention. And so this uh, series on the, the life of Elijah has been so powerful. And uh, Mark asked me to wrap it up today, and all uh, this theme, this wrap-up, message is about passing the torch. I named it that because it's about Elijah actually uh, passing the torch to Elisha. Uh, this, this part of the story is about the end of Elijah's life. And uh, so, so when you stop to think about that, let me just preface what I'm going to say today by just saying that some of us have lived long enough that we can we know we're closer than we used to be to the end of the deal, right? I mean, we're not, maybe not about to just check out, you know, today or anything, but you can see the end from where you are, right? Uh, maybe you know you've lived probably longer than you're going to live. You've passed the halfway point. Now, some of these young folks, uh, you know, they, they don't feel that way. But the older, the older I get, the more I feel that way. And uh, life moves fast. It seems it's moving at the same pace one day at a time, but it doesn't feel that way. It feels like it's moving faster. Okay, that's just how it feels to me. And so what does that do for a believer in Jesus? Well, I tell you how it affects me. It challenges me because, you see... I want to finish well. I, you know what I mean? I don't want to get to the end and create more regret. Do you? I've got enough regrets. I've wasted enough time. You know? I can look back and see lots of things that I wish I had done differently, but I don't get to do them over. But what I do get to do is what the Lord has called me to do now. The gifting and the calling of finishing the race is before us. And none of us know when the end will come, do we? We don't know. We don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. You know, we're closer than we've ever been. But, you know, we don't know that. And so we want to make it count. And Elijah, by the grace of God, this story really is a picture of how to make it count. And so what I did was, and I'm going to read you the verses, and then we've just basically got three major points that I want to make. But there's a lot of points under them. Okay, and I know that. There's, well, there's actually 15 of them. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever done that before my whole life. It just feels so good. Anyway, so, but there's three main points, and that is, you know, what does it take to pass the torch? What is that, what, what is involved with you passing the torch to somebody else spiritually, right? And then what does it take what is required to receive the torch for somebody from somebody that's passing it to you, right? And then, why is it important for all of us to do that? 
Okay, so that, those are the three main points. So if you get lost in the weeds somewhere along the way, just try to remember that stuff. Okay, those three things, you can go back and look at all these 15 other points later. Anyway, okay, so, so and I would have put more. I really, I would have, but that's all I could think of, so I'm just doing these. All right, so, so what we do is we take up the story, okay, we take up the story of Elijah right here at the end of 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21, he's already spoken, you know, to Elijah about uh, go and anoint Haziel to be the king of Aram and then anoint Jehu to be the king of Israel and then go anoint Elisha to be your successor uh, as the replacement prophet to carry on the prophetic ministry. And he reminds him that there are 7,000 people that have not yet bowed the knee to Baal. And then he says... Uh, in verse 19, so Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Well, that's dramatic, isn't it? I love that stuff. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye. He knew what it meant, didn't he? He knew, man. The prophet had come and thrown his mantle, thrown his robe across his shoulders to say to him, Come and be with me. Come and let me mentor you. And this was a huge honor. Everybody knew who Elijah was, right? As God's spokesman. And so he said, gosh, just let me go tell my folks goodbye. And Elijah replied, go on back and think about what I've done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. How about that? He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople. And they all ate the barbecue and lived happily ever after. No, that's not in there. And they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. We're going to take some of this apart as we go with, these, with the outline that we've given you to follow. Now let me read to you this next passage from 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. That's all about when Elijah gets taken up in the fiery chariot, you know, in the whirlwind. This is great stuff. This is, this is some powerful stuff in the Bible, I'm telling you. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal, and Elijah said, didn't explain why, but I think it's because of my neck. Anyway, okay, so. <laughs> and sometimes it's redder than at other times. But anyway. Okay, where do we? Okay, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. And Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. And a group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and asked him, did you know that the Lord is going to make your master, that's Elijah, he's going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. So, so the Lord, do you get this picture? The Lord was about to take Elijah. His, his, he was, it was winding down. I mean, this is, this is the short rows here. And he kept saying, the Lord's told me to go here. You just stay here. It's all right. I'm, I'm about to go. And Elisha knew that the Lord was about to take him. And he said, I'm, I'm like, no, sir. I'm with you, man. <laughs> I'm going to be right here with you to the very end. And this group of prophets also knew that the Lord was about to take him, right? Do you know that the Lord's about to take him? I know that hush. I'm afraid he'll make me stay here and I won't get to see it. I don't know. I'm reading between the lines, but you just see what happens here. Then Elijah said he's going to 
Jericho, and Elisha replied again, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. Man, he was stuck with him, right? He was right there. So they went together to Jericho. Then the group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha, asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know. Elisha answered, But be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here. The Lord's told me to go to the Jordan River. Again, Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. Fifty men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. And the river divided and the two of them went across on dry ground. And they came to the other side. Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what I can do for you before I am taken away. Is there one last request? Is there something I can do for you, son, before I go? Because he really did have a fatherly relationship with the young prophet Elisha. And Elisha replied, and this is bold, watch this. Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. Wow, that was strong, wasn't it? I just, so Elijah says to, get the picture now, Elijah says to Elisha, one last request before the Lord takes me home, is there anything that I can do for you before I go to heaven? And Elijah says, Elisha says, well, how about this? I want twice as much as you got. Really? Let me tell you something. Elijah had a lot, didn't he? I mean, the anointing of the Holy Spirit was on Elijah. Think about the power that was manifested through the life of Elijah. Think about that God contest, right? And, and all of the rest. And, and the, the most recent thing that had just happened, where he had taken the very cloak, the mantle, right, that he had thrown across Elisha's shoulders when he called him from plowing the oxen in the field, that very cloak is what he slapped the water with and the Jordan River parted. That had just happened. I want twice as much as that. <laughs> and I want to be your successor, meaning I want to carry on the ministry that you have established. That's powerful stuff. That was a good request, don't you think? Yeah. Elijah didn't look at him and say, you're, a, you're, you're, you're an idiot for asking for that. That's not what he said, did he? There was no put down. There was no, well, maybe, maybe not. But he did say, you've asked something difficult. If you see me when I am taken from you, then you'll get your request. But if not, you won't. And as they were walking along and talking, now they're walking along, right? Suddenly, a chariot of fire appeared drawn by horses of fire. You know, they got horses in heaven. I like that. Yeah. Jesus is going to come back on a big white one, too. Don't, don't forget that. And everybody that's coming with Jesus, basically, is going to be mounted on a horse, too. You go read it. It's the book of Revelation. Amen. That gives cowboys hope. It drove. This, this, this chariot of fire drove between the two of them. Drove between the two men, separating them. And Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elijah saw it and cried out, My father, my father. Wow. He's gone, gone. I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And the river divided. And Elisha went across. And so began his part of the journey, when the group of prophets from Jericho saw from a distance what happened, they exclaimed, Elijah's spirit rests upon Elisha, and they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Elisha went on to have a very full, rich, and powerful ministry that in, by all measure you know, exceeded the scope of Elijah's ministry. You can go back and read it. More time was involved. It was extended in time. Tremendous manifestations of God's Word and God's power. 
came through Elisha. And you will see this entire theme repeated over and over and over in Scripture. It's a recurring theme in both the Old and the New Testaments. The need to recognize that our role in serving God is always supposed to be passed to another generation. It's what people recognize even in the deadest church you ever heard of. Even in the dead churches, the ones that are boring, the ones that are in decline, even they say, man, we got to do something about getting some young people in here. <laughs> Don't they? Look at all these gray heads. If we're not careful, our church is going to close because nobody new is coming in. Of course, they're the reason nobody new is coming in. They are the reason. Right? Because it's certainly in the Lord's fault, is it? That, that sounded so negative. I'm sorry. I don't mean to fuss. I don't want to make anybody feel worse than they already do. Of course, that's just too good a thing not to say. You just got to be a little bit of guilt trip. Here, let me just give you a little bit of that. Come on. But I tell you something. This whole idea that there's no success without a successor, what, what that is about really is about generational fruit that lasts. That's what it's about. It's about passing the torch. It's about something that you have that is so good that you can't help but give it away. Do you understand? It doesn't matter how many seminars there are about sharing your faith. If you're not excited about it, you're not going to talk about it. Nobody can guilt you into it. Do you understand? Nobody can obligate you enough to be to pass the torch. That's not what this message is designed to do because it won't work if that's all there is. But if you're on fire with the Holy Spirit, right, if God set, ignites your life, if He ignites you and you are, you are um, inspired to love Jesus and you're, the Holy Spirit is moving in your life, look, this is not something that, that I mean, you know, it helps to, to, to have some training. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but the fire to share it. To pass the torch to somebody is something that the Holy Spirit does in our lives, right? He, he, he does. I mean, you don't have to like, you know, you don't have to get all the grandmothers together, for example, and say, okay, we're going to have a seminar about how you should talk about your grandchildren and why that's so important. You don't have to do that. Why? Because they can't, they, they're going to tell you about it. They're going to tell you and show you pictures, whether you want to see them or not. Have you looked at some of the pictures that, you know, you look at the child and you think, hmm. It's like that country song, you're the reason our children are ugly. You know, it's like, whoo, oh, he's, he's really, whoo, that's, he looks different. Anyway, so, but you know what? I mean, you talk about your grandkids, right? Because you love them. They're beautiful to you, whether anybody else thinks they are or not. It doesn't matter, does it? Even, you'll even put a bumper sticker. Let me tell you about my grandchildren. What are we talking about here? We're talking about passing the torch. We're talking about sharing the good news. And we're talking about being intentional about that as the Holy Spirit energizes us and directs us and helps us to connect and relate and to think about it and pray about it and look to the opportunities, the doors that are open and not missing it, right? That's what we're talking about. So I want to unpack this with you. And let's look at the first point, and that is the first main point is you can pass the torch if. Now, wait, one thing that I didn't include in this list. You've got to have a torch to begin with. <laughs> you, can't, you can't share something you don't have, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you can't tell somebody about Jesus if you don't know Jesus. You know, they used to fuss at me about that all the time at church. You ought to be a witness. You ought to talk about it. I felt so bad. I felt so bad about it because I never want to talk about Jesus, and that's because I didn't know Jesus. You know what I mean? Not really. Not personally. Not really. Okay? I mean, I knew who he was and I believed in him and all that stuff. I believe that he died on the cross and was raised from the dead and all that stuff. You ask me, you believe that stuff? Yes, sir, I do. I believe it. I've always believed it. I've been baptized and I prayed prayers and I signed cards and I, did it. I was there all the time, but I wasn't sure about it at all. They could talk me out of, of, of my assurance any day they talked about hell. My assurance just went out the window, you know, and then I'm down at the altar making promises and apologizing. I just didn't have a relationship, okay? I hadn't really surrendered 
So you've got to have a torch to pass, okay? All right, but let's just say that that's settled, okay? And you're sure about it, and God's made you sure. Let's look at these five things. First thing you can pass the torch is if you know you're not alone. Elijah thought he was alone, didn't he? He thought he was down the last one. He wasn't. There was a bunch more that he didn't know about. You can't pass the torch if you think there's nobody to pass it to. If you think there's nobody to share your faith with. I've had people literally tell me that. There's no reason really for me to do that because, gosh, we live in Fairhope, Alabama. Everybody here knows about Jesus. I mean, I've had people tell me that. There's really no reason for me to. We live in the buckle of the Bible belt. There's no reason to go there. I'm just going to live a good life and make them guess, I guess. You know. How did you find out about Jesus? Somebody make you guess. Is that how they did it? They lived a real good life. Well, maybe that was part of the witness, but at some point, somebody told you, didn't they? Let me tell you, they may have all heard about Jesus. They haven't. But, but even if they have, they ain't heard what Jesus did for you, have they? And see, there's anointing in your testimony. How do they overcome? According to the book of Revelation, they overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they're not scared to die. There is anointing on the testimony. Now, the facts will back up the testimony. But people are not saved by the facts. What are they saved by? The truth. And the anointing is on how the truth set you free. You follow that? It's hard to argue with that. You see, what you're imparting to the torch that you're passing is that testimony. This is what he did for me. This is what he did for me. And there are people in your world that need to hear what he did for you. And God knows how those relationships can develop so that you can actually let them be the successor to what God has done for you. That's not very complicated, is it? It multiplies. It reproduces. That's the DNA of the kingdom. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, where just two or three are gathered together in my name. I'm there in the midst of them. I think that's the sale of the body of Christ, two or three. You know? And man, with COVID, we need to remind ourselves of that. Success is not measured in the kingdom of God by how many people are in a room. It's, it's about what's going on in the relationships. And sometimes the two or three, wait, wasn't it just Elijah? Wait a minute. And there was a group of prophets over there, but they didn't get to see or receive what Elisha received. I'm counting here. There's the Lord, okay, and then there's Elijah, that's one, and then, wait a minute, there's Elisha. That's two. Two or three. Wow, really? Who could you connect with on a personal basis? Every program that God uses is based on relationships that underlie the program. Any program will work if the DNA of the kingdom is happening in relationship. Here's the second one. You can pass the torch if you listen for God's pick. God chose Elisha to replace Elijah, and Elijah was paying attention, and he knew where to find him, didn't he? Where was he? He was up plowing. He was plowing some oxen. What if he didn't show up for work that day? But he did. See, it's a good thing to show up and be doing what you're supposed to be doing, even if you, even if you don't think it's much. Elijah listened for God's pick. You know, that reminds me of when God sent Samuel to go anoint a new king, a successor to King Saul, because King Saul had messed up so bad and disobeyed the Lord so desperately that God says, I'm done with this. Let's, we're going to anoint a new king. You remember that story? I love that story. That story is about uh, uh, the Lord speaking to Samuel and going to the household of Jesse, who had all these sons. How many sons was it? Like seven, wasn't it? How many was it? About seven. And so, and so uh, all of them came, you know, all of them came to the, uh, to the prophet meeting, and, uh, <laughs> except one. All these cool, young, strong men came before Samuel. This must be the one. No. This one, Lord? No. Man, he looks like a king. What's wrong with him? That's not the one. That's not the one. Finally, he looks at Jesse and says, do you have any other sons? Is this it? Is this the whole show? Well, yeah, we've got one, one more, but. He's out there looking after the sheep. Let me tell you something. That tells you something, doesn't it? That maybe David was so low on the totem pole and so insignificant to the whole group 
of his family members that he wasn't even invited to the meeting. They had to send, send for him. Go get him. And when he showed up, he was the one. And this is what was written. The Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or his physical statue. I've refused him. The Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at what? The heart. You see, God is in the business of picking people that maybe we wouldn't pick, right? You know what I look for? Somebody limping. (laughs) You know why I look for a limp? Because it reminds me of me. I'm looking for somebody who, this this is who I pay attention to. If I want to find a successor, if I want to find somebody, if I'm intentional about it, what am I asking for? I'm not asking for the best-looking one in the crew. I'm asking God to show me somebody who is willing to admit they need help. That's why Jesus kept picking the wrong people, but they were the right people. They were wrong people in religious terms, but in spiritual terms, they were exactly the right people, and they were a motley crew, let me tell you, to change the world. But he knew they admitted they needed help. He said, these whores and tax collectors are going to get in the kingdom before you. Why? Because he was condoning immorality? No. Because they knew they needed help and the others wouldn't admit it. God looks at the heart. Listen to the pick. Here's the third one. You're committed to God's work. Man, you're not going to be looking for a successor to carry the work forward if, you, if it's all about you and your agenda. No, it's a, this is about being committed to God's work, isn't it? Elijah was committed to the ongoing work of God. His task had been fulfilled and completed. It's taking the long view, you see. That's not the institutional view. Do you follow me? That's not the denominational view either. People have the mistaken idea that God is committed to human institutions. He's not. He's committed to His church. He will build His church And hell cannot stop it. And anywhere church is happening, he'll bless it. But he has no commitment to the institutions of men. They're all under the judgment of God and are part of the arrangements of this world. Are you you listening? Where's the investment supposed to be? In the kingdom. And committed, having that priority and that kingdom commitment instead of my own agenda frees me to pass the torch. Because I'm not worried about who's going to get credit. Paul talked about these guys who were preaching the gospel, but they had bad motives. In Philippians, he said, Those others who do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ, they preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine. The message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice and I continue to rejoice. Man, that is exactly the opposite of the spirit of competition that we find among religious people today. We think we have to win at somebody else's expense, the church down the road. There's only one church. Wherever God is doing His work is our victory. It doesn't matter where it happens. It doesn't matter. And when you know that, when you know that, then you are free then to pass the torch freely without strings. Do you follow that? You're not worried about who gets credit. You're not worried about if they stand up and applaud you. I had a preacher friend. He said, you know what makes me depressed? I said, what? Not that I needed anybody to tell me what made him depressed. I mean, I hear that enough. I'm depressed too. God help me. He said, you know, if I go back to a church where I once pastored and they're really not doing well, It really depresses me. I said, yeah, I can understand that. And then he said, you know what makes me feel even worse? I said, what? If they're doing good. (laughs) Here's the fourth one. You can pass the torch not only if you know you aren't alone and you listen for God's pick and you're committed to God's work, but if you're accessible for God's use. You've got to be available, right? You see, the fact that you're available to go means that you can invite somebody else to go. But if you've got, if it's got to be on your terms, and you know, I I have done that, haven't you? I'm like Mark, you know, Mark said he was scared to surrender to God because he knew if if he did it, just his luck, God would send him to Africa, you know. For me, it was China. I thought, oh my, I can't do it. I can't. And see, we had three levels of Christians in our church growing up. We had just normal Christians like we were. Kind of pitiful. And then we had 
we had people that were in the ministry, and they were kind of like stars. And then we had superstars, and they were the missionaries. And they would bring the missionaries in to try to inspire us ordinary Christians to be more, you know, on fire. And it always op- it, it affected me the opposite because they looked terrible, okay, all of them. We, not, I, I know some missionaries that look great, and they're on fire, and I love to see them. But, man, the missionaries they brought, they were worn out. They were exhausted. They looked pitiful. I looked at them and thought, oh, no, I'm going to grow up and look like that. That's me right there. That's it. God is going to send me to China and to some remote, obscure, terrible place with a terrible-looking wife. (laughs) That's what that was just... Why did I think that? But see, God had had His plan, and and, and I didn't need to have reservations. But if I'm totally available, then I can pass that freely, right? And say, hey, man, you know what? You need to get in on this party. You don't, need to worry. you don't need to worry about what you think is going to happen. Just give it all up to God, and He'll plunge you into the ministry that He wants you to have. He'll show you your mission. You'll be happier doing that than anything you could possibly do, but you've got to be accessible. It reminds me of when the Lord spoke to Isaiah in that great vision. He heard the Lord asking, Whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And He said, Here I am. Send me. If you're willing to be sent, then you can grab somebody by the heart and hand and say, Here Come go with me. Here's the fifth one. You want God to get the glory. You want God to get the glory. Somebody said, you know, it doesn't matter. You can accomplish anything if you don't care who gets credit. (laughs) But we do care, don't we? Far too much. I know people that have left churches because we didn't thank them profusely enough from the pulpit. They left. Why? Because we didn't thank them for the money they gave or the service. I believe everybody needs an attaboy. I think everybody, ought, we ought to give honor where honors due, just like the Bible says. Well, what if we forget to give you the honor that, is, that you think is due you? How important is Who are you doing it for anyway? Is it for Jesus or what? Man, I want you to love me, like me, admire me, all that. Don't we all want that? Yeah. That's why we don't confess all our sins in front of everybody. Lately, I think the Lord has not really been too concerned about that in my, my life and upholding my reputation because lately he's had me confess all kinds of things in public, and I just thought, oh, my God, really? I mean, if people find out I broke all ten of the commandments, they may stop giving their money, and then what happens? See, I'm not in charge of that. Do you understand? And the Lord spoke to me prophetically a long time ago, really, through a Christian counselor. You know what he said? He said, well, you shouldn't tell everything to everybody. I thought, amen to that. And he said, but it would be better to have every one of your sins spelled out in the Sunday morning bulletin than to live one more day in bondage to one of them. Woo. Okay. You see, the thing about that is it's, about, it's all about God getting the glory. Uh, Paul said, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. What are we here to do anyway? Boast about the Lord. All right, point number two, next five. You ready? It's going to be faster. It's going to be rabbit punches. You can receive the torch if first you're available. We talked about being available, right? If you're going to receive the torch for somebody, like somebody's working with you, mentoring you, teaching you, leading you, you've got to be available to them. That means you've got to find space for God to fill in. Why do people not do what they're asked to do? So we've got all these things going on. We feel like God has called us to do X, Y, Z. Let's just use the uh, 242. Did I get that right? Is it 244? 242. Okay, I can't remember which verse. But anyway, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. 242 groups. All right, so we think, I mean, we pray about this stuff, right? We're praying about it. We're seeking God. We're crying out to the Lord. Say, okay, we really feel like this is something God wants us to do. Your leaders believe that. Good for you, good for the kingdom, good for the church, good for all of us. This is something you need to do. All right? But to do that, what do you have to do? You've got to make some space. And the reason you're not going to do it if you don't is because you know what you're going to say to yourself? I'm just too busy. That's what you're going to say. And if you are, it's time to rain back on the busy. I'm just telling you. Wait, where are all the amens? Y'all calm down. didn't think it was important wouldn't say it pray about it pray about it you can even do it on zoom for goodness sake you don't have to show up you can do it in your pajamas button up if you do but come on now 
You've got to be available. One of the great stories of availability is Acts chapter 8. This, this Ethiopian eunuch is, is, is driving down the road in a chariot, and he's reading from the book of Isaiah. And Philip, the Lord brought Philip alongside him. Hey, wait now. And he says to Philip, tell me what's the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And so beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. And we know the, the truth is he got saved and got baptized by the side of the road. And that was all about what? Availability of both, wasn't it? Philip was being used, and the eunuch was opening his heart, and they're now available. You can receive the torch that way. Here's the third, second thing. You're willing to sacrifice. You know, when Elisha, when Elijah called Elisha, he's out there plowing. He said, uh, let me just tell my folks goodbye. He said, okay, you can tell them goodbye, but you better think about what just happened. Didn't he? He said, better think about what I just did. And you know what he did? He said, hey, hey, man, okay, I'm going to tell mama goodbye, but I'm fixing to make a sacrifice to the Lord. And he slaughtered those bulls as a sacrifice to the Lord. And he cooked the meat on the wood from the plow and the yoke. He chopped it up. That means you can't use that anymore, right? Sounds like to me he's burning the bridge in a haze of barbecue smoke. And by the way, he invited everybody to come eat too. And it was a public deal. Do you follow that? It was not some secret. He was fixing to make a sacrifice. He burned the bridge. I'm leaving the farm, folks. And I'm going with the prophet. It always costs, doesn't it? We don't want it to. We don't want it to. We want the, we want the call without the cost. We want the blessing without the surrender. We want the relief without the repentance. That's what we want. I, don't, I know that's human nature, but it's non-existent. You've got to be available. You must be willing to sacrifice. Here's the third one. You have a teachable spirit if you receive the torch because you have a teachable spirit. Elisha became... Basically, someone, an intern of Elijah, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. As I'm humble and gentle at heart, you'll find rest for yourselves. What was that about? That was about being teachable. If you already know it all, you know anybody like that? They're not here in Fairhope, are they? They're in Daphne. That's where all the high-minded jackasses are, right? Oh, I forgot. Sorry. He lives in Daphne. Sorry. No, no. There's no particular geographical location that has a corner on high-minded fools. They're everywhere, right? See, God can forgive, save, transform anybody's life. Anybody. There's no sin too great to be, that can't be forgiven. There's no hurt too deep that can't be healed. I mean, life can change. There's no addiction too strong that can't be broken. That's the good news of God's power and God's love. But nothing can happen unless somebody says, I need help. I wouldn't be taught. The way I'm doing it isn't working. The Pharisees could not be helped. Why? They didn't think they needed to be. He said, Jesus said, y'all are slaves to sin. They said, no, we're not. We're free. Wow. They couldn't see it. They missed the Son of God. How is that? How could you be the one that knows more Scripture than anybody else and, not, and miss the one that the Scripture talked about? But they did. God without, uh, religion without God killed Jesus. Religion without God will kill you too if you're not careful. You have a teachable spirit. You know, the, the guys that we work with in Mobile, you can tell pretty quick who's going to make it and who isn't. It's the ones who have an humble spirit and willing to be taught. Jesus said, I'll teach you. I'm humble. I'll teach you. You have to have an humble spirit. You've got to accept that yoke. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. But hey, it is a yoke. There's something to know that you don't know. We don't know what we don't know. Going right along with that is the fourth one. You have a servant's heart. Elisha became servant to Elijah. He assisted him. He was, his, he was the one that followed along beside him, and he was so devoted to him that he wouldn't leave at the end. You see that? Jesus said, among you, leadership will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader must be your servant. Hey, if you want to take the torch and run with it, you've got to learn to have a servant's heart. You've you got to learn not to, not to covet the spotlight, you know? You've got to learn to rejoice in other people's blessings. You know, sometimes, you know, when, when it says weep with those who weep, we're good with that. You know why? Because when they come and crawl on our shoulder, it makes us feel good. It makes us feel like we're needed, right? Some of us can't even get along or be happy unless somebody 
you know, we're trying to help somebody who doesn't want help, but that's a different issue. I think they call that being codependent. But sometimes it's easier to cry with somebody who cries because that kind of makes us feel strong. But then when they get blessed, how does it feel? Sometimes I don't like it. Especially if I don't think they, you know. If I'm over here struggling, somebody gets blessed about three times in a row, I'm going, huh. I don't know if I want to rejoice so much with that. I want some. What about me? You follow that? That's selfish, isn't it? If we're unselfish, if we're servants then we don't care who gets credit. We're excited when God blesses somebody else, no matter where he does it. Does God bless people you agree with? Sometimes. Does God bless people you disagree with? All the time. Here's the fifth one. You can see because your heart is pure. Jesus said, blessed are those whose hearts are pure. They'll see God. You know, when, when, when Elisha said to Elijah, hey, what is it you want? And he asked for that double portion and to be his successor. He said, it'll happen if you see me. Why did Elisha see what happened next? Because his heart was pure. God allowed him to see it. Are you following that? God will allow the, the, the level of your vision and your ability to discern and see what God is up to and what God is calling you to do is all about the purity of your heart. Why should he reveal something to you if your heart is not to do what He wants you to do. I've come to the Lord and said, Lord, I know there must be something wrong because I can't see. Now, sometimes God withholds things from us so we'll learn to walk by faith. Isn't that true? That's true. You can't always see everything, and I'm not implying that. But see, the typical walk with the Lord is that we live by the vision He gives us. We live in the inspiration of it. Without a vision, the people what? Die. He wants to reveal. He wants us to live in the inspiration of His revelation to us. And that's all about the purity of our hearts of saying, God, I don't know everything you want, but I want what you want. And anything in me that doesn't, please change it. If you want to run with the torch that's being passed to you, it's all about. Okay, so let's wrap it up with these last few things. Uh, point number three, we're here, we're close, we're close. Hang on. Don't get lost yet. Here's why we pass the torch. Number one, every generation must be discipled. Every generation. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then he says, And lo, I'm with you always, even to what? The end of the age. Right to the end, right? History, he's saying, history starts here at this moment as we make disciples and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. History has been interrupted by the saving work of Jesus, Right? And from that moment to the very end of history, what is the job of the church? To make disciples. That is the task, right? And every generation must be discipled, right? Every generation. It starts over in every generation. It's because God doesn't have any grandchildren, right? You don't get in because Mama loved Jesus. You get in because you love Jesus, the best thing they ever gave me, the best thing Mama ever told me was about Jesus. And you know what? When they talked about sin at church and I, as a child, said, I don't get the sin thing. Am I a sinner? She had the good sense to say, yes, you are. Not you're a good little boy and don't need it. You follow that? It took me a while. But thank God that, that was passed to me. You are a crucial link in passing that to somebody. Here's the second one. You're willing, I'm sorry, we reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. Galatians 6, 7, don't be, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You always harvest what you plant. Okay, so here I am as a Christian, right? And I love the Lord. I am called to disciple the next generation. Why would I pass that torch? Because I always am going to reap what I sow. If I sow the spiritual seeds, I'm going to reap a spiritual harvest. You don't always, listen, you don't reap the same day you sow, and you don't always reap in the same place you sow, but you always reap what you sow, for better or for worse. And if you sow to the Spirit, you're going to 
And, and see, this is what we're teaching. See, it was so funny. Back at the end of 2019, you know what I asked the Lord? I said, Lord, am I just going to take care of middle-class white people the rest of my life? I asked him that. He said, no. I thought I was. I love middle-class white people. I, have a, I'm, I am a middle-class white person. But he now surrounds me with people of color who, needs help, who need help. That's something God did. I, that was his idea. God will put you with the people that you can help. He will put you with the people that you can speak to, that you can actually impact their lives in positive ways. You can encourage them. You can come alongside them. You can love them. Hey, you have problems, so do they. You've survived your problems so far. They weren't lethal, were they? Your heart's still beating. There's still a chance. There's still an opportunity to do some good. It's not rocket science. You can do this. You can sow that seed. And when these people that you're influencing start to sow their seed, what happens is it starts to counteract the bad harvest that they've got in their lives because of what they chose yesterday. Do you see that? We do this because we reap what we sow. And the third one is people are the place to sow. People are the place to sow. You've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to do what? Serve one another. So if you wake up in the morning and say, you know, Lord, I'm ready. <laughs> don't do this. Don't, don't do this unless you, unless you mean it, because I'm going to tell you, he will, he will open the door. He will give you opportunity let me ask you a question. Do you sometimes feel like you go through your day and you just go from one frustrating situation in person to another? Just from one to another to another and you can't be delivered. You ask God, why are all these people getting on my nerves so bad? I just can't stand them. And I know I'm supposed to love them, but I don't. And my compassion is about a quart low. Somebody asked for the love, asked me to write a love check, and it bounces. It's overdrawn. Somebody else got theirs. You feel that way sometimes? Me too. You know what changes that for me? Let me tell you what changes it for me. If it ever changes, if I ever get it right, it's because I shift from thinking that way to, Lord, who can I help? Who can I help? And I start looking for that. And I'm able somehow by the grace of God to look past the things that irritate me about them to what I can do to encourage, plant a seed, and show love. When I get it right, when I'm walking in the Spirit, I'm not caught up in frustration. I have the fruit of the Spirit and Jesus reaching out to them through me. When we get to heaven, it's going to be about the seeds we sowed into people's lives. Here's the fourth one. Because we're thankful. Why do we pass the torch? Because we're so excited. Paul talked about thanking God for the gift of salvation that's too wonderful for words. <laughs> Paul, you know, John says to the, to the church in Ephesus that had gotten it right in so many ways. Oh, but there's one thing the Spirit wants you to do. You need to come back to your first love. Remember that? When he first forgave you. When he first saved you, when you first realized the relief that you've been pardoned, that there was no regret that you had to bear from now on for the rest of your life, that he lifted the condemnation, and you know in your heart that when you die, you're going to heaven? Oh, my gosh. That's the best news on earth, isn't it? In a world full of bad news, we have the best. And here's the last, the very last one. It's more blessed to give than receive. It's more blessed. You know, Paul said that in Acts 20, 35. The gospel writers missed it. It's not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Paul says, I've been a constant example of how you ought to help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. He just threw that in. It's more blessed to give than receive. It is, isn't it? So, let me say this about that. It's more blessed to give than receive, but you can't give unless you've received. Back to the very beginning, you can't pass the torch unless you have a torch, right? It's so blessed. It, there is a blessing. So, hey, hey, now, let me ask you a quick before we go. Do you want to be blessed? Is there anybody in here that doesn't? If, if there is, I'll take yours. 
Because I want it. I want it all. I want, I want twice as much. Don't you? I just give it to me, Lord. I need it. I need it to live. I need it to be a father and a grandfather and, and an employee. And I need it to be a pastor. I need it to be the man that you've called me to be. I need your blessing. I can't. i got to have it. I need it. I can't make it unless you bless me. I don't want to live without it. I don't want to live without the blessing. I don't want to do anything with Freedom Church without the blessing of God. Because with, with the blessing, that's oh, that's the way you live. That's the adventure, isn't it? And it's more blessed to do what? Give than receiving. As long as I remember that I'm a catalyst. We are a catalyst. So when we receive it, we give it. We receive it. We give it. We, we, we pass it. We pass the torch. We pass the peace. We share the news. We, we spread the love. We show the kindness. We let people know this is the party. That's not the party. This is the party you need to be in on. Oh, somebody's going to want to go to heaven with us. Somebody's want to go. And we can pass the torch. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together and go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? I don't know. I know this was a lot of stuff today. I know it was. But I just want us to ask the Lord to speak to us about it. And then Mark's going to come and wrap things up. Lord, we just want to say to you right now, we realize you've entrusted a lot to us. And to whom much is given, much shall be required. We recognize it. So we want to be those people who are so caught up in passing the torch to others that we are not distracted or deterred or delayed in any way by the naysayers, by those with some other agenda or anything else, that nothing the enemy throws at us can stop us because we are proactively and in the power of your Holy Spirit passing the torch to others. Help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I surely hope that what you heard was relevant and helpful and above everything. I hope that what you experienced today really helped your heart to connect with the heart of God. Now, if what you heard uh, for you stirred up any questions or maybe led you toward uh, some type of spiritual decision, maybe you want to talk with someone about something that's on your mind, I would love to hear from you. And so I would encourage you reach out by email. At the bottom of the screen, you see my email address. It's mark at myfreedomchurch.net. That's not going to go to a secretary or an assistant. That will come directly to me. I'd love to hear from you and talk with you about anything that's on your mind. And if in the future you're in our area, we would love for you to come and worship with us at Freedom Church. But until then, we invite you to access all of the sermon material that you find online. Again, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Hope that you have a great day.